Hey, what's up everyone? I hope you're having a good time while you're listening to this. And yes, you're here with me again for another discussion about literature. This time, I'll be telling you about the critical approaches in appreciating and understanding literature. Yup, that's the thing about literature. It has to be appreciated and understood. That's why maybe a lot people find it boring at times. Because what's next after reading and understanding it, right? But as I've told you before, literature is just more than the surface. It's more than just reading. It's a mystery case you have to solve. It's a discovery. Ever wondered why, despite you and your classmates reading the same literary text, say a poem or a short story, you still got different interpretations? You feel like this is the meaning, but your classmate says otherwise. Well, that's because you're looking at it through different perspectives. This is also the reason why sometimes some of the stories you read did not appeal to you as much as much as it did to others and you ask yourself why right or maybe they ask you why and you tell them a bunch of reasons why you didn't like it you might not be aware of it but you're somehow critiquing a literary piece already you just didn't know the technique approach or theory you used in doing so maybe because you're not that much aware of it yet. Literary criticism is one of the most interesting things about literature. With this, understanding literature has never been more fun. It's like solving a mystery or putting puzzle pieces together using literary theories you think you are useful. But what is it, do you ask? Literary criticism and literary theory are two connected terms. When we say literary criticism, it is the study, evaluation, close reading and scrutiny of piece of literature. Take note also that criticism doesn't equate to fault-finding. You don't look at what made it ugly, but you examine it closely, its parts, its influences, and other factors that have probably affected the way it was honed by the writer. It is how one interprets a literary work, finding out its meaning or the elements that make it outstanding. So, once you say this poem is the best, or what or that story could have been better, that is somehow already a portion of what literary criticism is, but not quite. Because for you to be able to reach a certain criticism about a piece of literature, you need to make use of literary theories. These theories are school of thoughts or sets of ideas and philosophies created to view the world in different lenses. You see, literature is the imitation of life and life is the imitation of literature also at some point. So literary theories or the schools of criticism view the page of literary pieces, the characters, the story, the motivations, intents, conflicts, and many other elements as if they're real existing people. There are many schools of thought that, that we would or that we could use in critiquing a literary piece. 
Some of them are even somehow the same or are greatly influenced by each other. But through this discussion, I'm only going to talk about a few and probably the most basic literary theories that we have. I always like talking about literary theories and criticism by grouping the theories into three. This doesn't mean that all the theories fall into three categories only. It's just that to understand the basic and earliest form of literary theories, we could group them into three. Author-dependent approach, text-dependent approach, and reader-dependent approach. Under these groups are more specific literary theories. Let's first start with the author-dependent approach. Now, this approach is basically founded with the idea that a piece of literature is written by someone a person who was alive and had existed at a specific point of time, a person who had experiences. Thus, this approach suggests that a, lit uh, a literary piece wouldn't be written if there is no one who wrote it and therefore the author is a central part of it. Under the author-dependent approach is the historical-biographical approach. This approach is basically a combination of two different literary theories, historical approach, which focuses on the events of the time period, and biographical approach, which looks at the life of the author, the significant events, relationships, ideologies, beliefs, and how this could have probably helped shape the work. Therefore, when we critic or when a critic makes use of the historical-biographical approach in understanding the piece of literature, one must undergo a thorough research on the life and times of the author. One question that we could ask ourselves when we want to use this approach is, what does the author or what does the work reveal about the life and the times of the author? Let's take Dr. Jose Rizal's Nola Metangere and Alfredo Bustirismo. In understanding those pieces, one must be familiar with the then ongoing oppression of the Spaniards, especially the friars to the Filipinos. The horrors of that timeline was captivated or was what captivated and fueled Rizal to write his masterpieces. Another literary theory under the author-dependent approach is the moral philosophical approach which is said to be probably the oldest type of approach in appreciating literature. And here, the critic is much interested to know what lessons or morals the text has. According to Aristotle in his book Poetics, literature's main goal is to cleanse or make the audience or readers feel catharsis or purgation. This is why, usually at school, especially when you were still in elementary, and were asked to read a story, your teacher would ask you the moral of the story and you'd be throwing in all sorts of lessons and realizations you'd had about it. However, certain critics have also felt that earlier ways of critiquing mentioned focused too much on the author, when in fact, it should have highlighted the content of the literary work. Thus, we have the text-dependent approach, under text-dependent approach are formalism and structuralism. Formalism, as the name suggests, is much more concerned with the form of the literary piece 
rather than the outside forces that may have had or had not contributed to the meaning of the peace. This literary theory started as a movement in Russia, so we have what we call specifically the Russian formalism. And since then, this theory has grown so much and spiraled into other theories grounded from it, like neocriticism, structuralism, postmodernism, and deconstruction. Sounds pretty heavy, right? But in the core, formalism is a literary theory that suggests that as critics, we should read a text closely and forget about all other extrinsic factors. We should focus more on the language and how it was used by the author. Formalist critics would look at the parts and parcels of a work of literature. If it is fiction, they would look at how each element was strung together to create a meaningful piece. Thus, a critic would look closely on the plot, the characters, setting, and the other elements vital to complete the story. If it was poetry, the critic would look at the form of the poem, determine whether it has meter and rhyme, and what have these elements contributed to highlight the meaning communicated by the poem. Formalist critics could also probably be held accountable as to why our literature teachers would always ask us about what figure of speech was used in a piece and why the author used it that way. How did the parts contribute to the aesthetic value of the whole piece? Or how does the form of the piece contribute to the meaning it conveyed? Structuralism, on the other hand, looks at tinier pieces of the literary work. This theory sprung from the idea that language, not only letters, but gestures, is a sign system, and that there are patterns as to how we understand each other and everything else in the world. This theory originally started with the idea of linguists, or those who were experts in language. The most accounted for this theory is Ferdinand de Saussure, since Linguists and proponents of this theory view language as a sign system. They tend to look at certain words or elements in the piece of literature that triggers the same reaction or interpretation from the readers. In semiotics, or the study of signs, these are called signifiers and the meaning we make out of it are referred to as the signified. Structuralists believe that the meanings we make out of the symbols or signifiers are inherent to us and are universal to almost all people from all cultures. Moreover, structuralists also look at the pattern or patterns similar to most literary works and are able to classify certain works as to what genre it is based on the elements. So for example, when you classify the work of literature as fiction and decided that it's a romance story, you're basically using your knowledge in structuralism as you were able to, de- to determine the patterns present on it that's also present on other short stories categorized as romance. Or take this as an example. A character is introduced in the story, a woman in her 20s, wearing black and is looking sullen as she stares in the far distance. As a structuralist, you pay close attention even with the color of the clothes worn by the woman. 
wondering why the author even brought, up, brought that up in the story. Then you thought it was probably because she was mourning a loss since she decoded black as a signifier of grief and mourning. Aside from the author-dependent and text-dependent approach, we also have a literary theory focused on the reader and how readers make meanings out of the words. The reader-dependent approach, a reader response theory, gives credit to the reader's active participation in making out meanings out of the literary text. It argues that a piece of poetry, for example, will remain meaningless until a reader reads, examines, and tells his or her opinion about it. As readers employing reader-dependent approach, we may ask ourselves, how do we feel when we read a certain poem or a passage from a novel? Why do we feel that way? You might think that this is probably the easiest and the least complicated theory to use since at its basic, you will just be sharing what your reaction is about the literary piece. What do you think? What do you, what do you feel? What did you, why did you think and feel that way? However, the readers this approach is referring to should be informed or competent readers whose schemas or experiences are activated once they read a literary piece. Since this theory is relying on the fact that readers can make meanings, a reader can use different lenses in looking at the piece. Say for example, a reader who has a feminist perspective reads Rizal's Nolimitangere and is greatly affected by it, angered even, because of how women were treated in the society or in the story. Basically, what the reader response criticism suggests is that the readers are the sole responsible entity in making sense of what the piece or the literary piece meant depending also on the lens they'd be looking at. This theory enables us to use any of the aforementioned schools of thoughts and the other literary theories or even combine, combine them if we want to. Since we have talked about the reader response theory now, I would also like to highlight some literary theories that you could also use or might already be using when you read a piece of literature. As I have mentioned, feminism as a literary theory analyzes how sexual identity influences the reader of the text. In this theory, the reader focuses on how the images of men and women in imaginative literature reflect or reject the social forces that have historically kept the sexes from achieving equality. And here, we investigate if the characters conform to the stereotypes of their gender or are battling and trying to unshackle themselves from this notion. For example, one could take note of how Maria Clara in Nolimit Tanghari was reduced into a simple woman, self-spoken, innocent, submissive, religious. Her whole existence in the story was mostly defined by her beauty. And maybe you ask why? That is because her characteristics were built from what the standards of women were at that time. She was the definition of a Filipina. Or in contrast, Katniss Everdeen of the Hunger Games series. Why was she presented as rebellious, strong, smart, 
a huntress, the victor, and basically the face of rebellion. Gender criticism, on the other hand, is a literary theory that was created because of feminism. This theory examines how sexual identity influences the creation and reception of literary works. It offers different approaches such as the so-called masculinist approach advocated by poet Robert Bly. Also, this approach could be highly applicable theory to use to understand the dynamics of characters or personas in the third sex present in works of literature. This theory is interested on the manner in which gender and sexuality is discussed in the piece of literature. A good approach also in understanding literary pieces is Marxism, which sprung from the idea of Karl Marx, saying that there has always been a struggle between the rich and the poor. This theory focuses on the economic and political elements of art, often emphasizing the ideological content of literature, and illuminates political and economical dimensions of literature other approaches overlook. Marxist theorists focus on how the economic status of the character in fiction, for example, and how this shapes the character's attitude and the circumstances in their lives. It looks at the probable struggle of the poor and the exploitation done by the rich and the capitalists to them. Another approach, or another popular approach in understanding literature is theory psychological criticism. This approach is kind of complicated as psychology is a broad branch of science that studies people's mind and behavior. One of the fundamental figures in psychology is Sigmund Freud, who introduced psychoanalysis. Notable ideas from Freud were his theories on how humans behave because of wish fulfillment, sexuality, unconscious, and repression. Freud said that people's behavior are driven by our unconscious, meaning we tend to do things, fear things, and desire things for reasons we are not aware of. This unconscious is heavily influenced by what we experienced as a child. Another notable idea from Freud is the existence of id, ego, and superego wherein he explained that the id as the area of the mind or is the area of the mind that has no moral compass, the location of all desires. Ego is a part of the mind that balances the id and the superego, superego which is the location of human's judgment to self and to others. The thing about psychological criticism is that it's too broad to use. However, it is also one of the most interesting theories to use because you get to really understand the characters, say for example in a novel, by noting what caused them to behave in a certain way in the narrative, scrutinizing their motives, desires, fears, etc. It's like decoding a real-life person, although in this case it's a page or it's in a page and you pay close attention to how the character speaks and acts and is described by the narrator. Moreover, you can even ask why or you can even ask about what the work suggests about the psychological being of its author. Aside from these literary theories that I've mentioned, 
There are many other schools of criticisms out there that you can use and check out so that the next time you get a book to read, you don't just get to understand it in a literal way, but in a deep and a more interesting way you didn't think was possible before. Just like what I've mentioned, reading literature is like uncovering a mystery.